Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Well, welcome to the Proclaim podcast. I am here with Tim Glemkowski and Julia Hanley. Julia, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. And Tim, you are uh, coming in from Denver, Colorado. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I can see the sun is shining on the side of your cheek. That uh, <laughs> We're really jealous here because we've got traditional, common Vancouver rain. That's right. Yeah, the, the, the Northwest. Yeah, so we, it's kind of an underrated part of Denver. That pe- people, I think sometimes when they think of Denver, they think they watched a Denver Broncos game or something and it's snowing in October. So they assume it's like the mountains, like Breckenridge or you know, some county up there where it's snowing, you know, more often year round, but Denver itself is very temperate. So yeah, we're like, it's, it's early October and we're 85 and sunny outside. And this is one of the reasons we, we like living here. So. Wonderful. Well, I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to talk um, mostly about discipleship pathway, but before we get into it, Tim, uh, can we take a little bit of time to let our listeners know a little bit about Tim Glemkowski? Yeah, great. Yeah, happy to to share. So I'm I'm recently uh, in a, a new role here with the Archdiocese of Denver as their director of strategy. So um, you know that word I, to some might seem kind of corporate, but the strategy of the church is the strategy of the gospel, right? It's just about making intentional decisions around how we. Uh, the Archbishop here has articulated a really you know deep desire and earnest desire to see us become a really effective missionary diocese. And so what that takes and what we choose to do to to advance those efforts, that's kind of my purview. And, you know, previously I'd, I'd started an apostolate law to Catholic Institute and um, had worked with parishes over the years. That's some of what we're going to talk about. That's how Julie and I had gotten connected uh, years ago as I was writing a book about some of our, um, you know, the things we were doing with parishes. Uh, and, uh, and that, yeah, it was kind of a consulting thing. So, you know, working with parishes for nine months to really help them kind of accompany them to, to articulate in their community how they were going to um, begin to be about the work of making disciples and, and making a shift to mission. Um, and then uh, I was involved in the project too called Revive Parishes. I was one of the co-founders of that, which is online courses for parish leaders. Uh, previously, I worked in a couple of parishes. I taught high school theology. Um, I've done a lot of speaking and traveling to do that uh, over the last decade or so. Um, and then uh, we have, so my wife, Maggie, and I have been married a little over six years, and we have three young kids. So uh, Eva is five. Theo is three, and then Charlie is, um, or Theo's going to turn three, and then Charlie's a new baby, which is why I forgot how old Theo was, because we <laughs> haven't slept much over the last few months, so. Well, congratulations. Um, yeah, so that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 us, and that's life. But yeah, we live here in Denver, and um, life is good. Getting to talk to you in previous conversations, we've talked a little bit about parish culture, and although there is some differences in the USA, Canada culture in general, I would say that there's some some common overlap to parish culture uh, in the United States and here in Canada. So you've had an opportunity to spend some time in a variety of different parishes and have seen culture, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, Could you share a little bit of some of the things that you've observed, you know, uh, in the parish culture that's been somewhat common? Yeah, um, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like... um, because there's common good and common bad, right? I, I would say if, if, you know, probably the most poignant for our conversation here, the most common thing is that um, in a lot of ways, our parishes grew up around communities that already existed or had, you know, intentional 
touch points is, is very a common thing in the States. And I, I think in Canada as well, where either it was like a small town where there's the Catholic population in the small town, you know, from a, usually from a distinct demographic group, the Italians, you know, in this town or something have a parish or, or in urban centers, then very much so there was that, you know, a boom of parishes that were built around the different, um, you know, immigrant populations in those parishes, whether they were the Italians or the Irish or whoever. And then there was kind of another, you know, growth and movement as a lot of these cities experienced, um, you know, growth in their suburbs. There would often be big parishes, you know, some of these mega parishes would be planted as these communities would kind of sprout up and they would become for people looking for, you know, a place of connection. They would become a real a real place that people look to for community. So those are all like good things. uh, But I think it also speaks to some of the ways that we began to operate in those parish settings that um, not have become obstacles to mission, but. It, it makes sense why mission wasn't always primary in the ways that those, because usually there was a, a certain identity or a desire for community or connection that was then being either the parish was being a locus for or was, you know, engendering um, in some ways. And so it wasn't always like the re- parish. We have to accomplish the perennial mission of the church to introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them be transformed by their relationship with him. Right. Like it was just kind of often more of a, um, a communal or, you know, connection thing, which is, I think, where that maintenance culture got built really strongly into the fabric then sometimes of those communities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Julia, you work in a parish and part of your work in the parish was to help develop a discipleship pathway. And let's talk a little bit about that because Tim uh, reached out to you and asked you a little bit of, you know, how that came about and certainly was part of uh, a big part of the book that he wrote, Made for Mission. So why don't you share with us a little bit of uh, how the pathway started to formulate, what it is, and how you're working through it right now. Sure. Uh, well, I think I came into St. Patrick's already just at an advantage because I kind of came in having not grown up in that parish or lived even in the Archdiocese of Vancouver having no familiarity, I kind of almost came in as this, um, oh, uh, unqualified consultant, (laughs) having no education or understanding myself and just looking at the parish and being able to diagnose kind of, I think that there's some issues here, some gaps here. And so really it came about when uh, a couple months into my job and I had to do my job and there were some big issues, some barriers to forming disciples at St. Patrick's, certain uh, things that just weren't, uh, wouldn't work together. Um, So that's kind of how it came about. Okay. Okay. So Tim, tell us a little bit about your book, Made for Mission. You've got four key areas, principles that you want to help parishes emphasize on in order to begin to affect parish culture. Yeah, so it's interesting. That's where it connects with Julia and how we became connected. Yeah. So kind of the long story is a little bit uh, of where that that topic of a discipleship pathway and how that became a common uh, touch point for us is, uh, you know, I would say probably like a decade ago, I really got, um, I'd always, I had, I'd had my personal conversion when I was 18 and, um, you know, really fell in love with Christ. And I think the, for me, the falling in love with the mission of the church uh, came like, pretty quickly after, you know, where I, I think a lot of us too, I'd had this kind of more significant conversion and thinking back, I'd gone to a Catholic high school. Um, I actually was sent to a Catholic high school by my parents because uh, I was in the public school system uh, in the States here in, in outside of Chicago. And I was getting in so much trouble that my parents thought 
maybe Catholic high school would <laughs> kind of straighten me out or something like that. And it didn't really work. But <laughs> at the end of that high school career, I did have kind of a conversion at a student bill conference. And really quickly, I think, you know, started to think through all the, the people I'd gone to school with and how like this kind of newfound joy, like this art of living that Pope Benedict talks about, uh, you know, which is the, the heart of the new evangelization. As I was kind of encountering it and experiencing it, thinking of all my friends who had grown up in this faith tradition and hadn't been exposed to any of the riches of it, right? Like just didn't, not even like through any fault of their own, like they had re- like been told, it's like hadn't been told, you know, that it's like and this, this, you know, this central mystery of this relationship with Christ and encountering the Eucharist. So very quickly that became a desire to be about the mission of the church for me. And I remember reading Acts of the Apostles when I was in college, when I was studying abroad, and it really just like kind of shook me in terms of this is what the church is and should be. And my normal experience of like the suburban Chicago Catholic parishes I go to does not really look like this community where like people's shadows are healing people. Like, you know, what's the, what's mm-hmm. the difference here? What's, what's, what's become of us, I think in some ways was almost the question for me. Um, and so probably about a decade ago, then finally really started to get convicted about the parish being the kind of the place where the Lord was really calling for renewal to happen because to be honest with you, since the Second Vatican Council, right, there's been an incredible flourishing of, of movements and apostolates. I know both of you are familiar with like CCO, and there were these, all these great people doing great missional work in the church. But to me, the conviction was growing like so much of the church's experience or people's experience of the faith right now is being entirely mediated through the local church. Mm-hmm. That if we didn't find a way to help those be more missional, we would risk, you know, losing a large swath, a large swath of people like my friends who never really encounter the riches of of the faith. And so that became, became this desire for mission for me. And one of the books I read very quickly there, as I started to kind of like just inhale everything I could about how do you create local churches that are very much so on mission and making that their central focus and creating the kind of culture change that would allow that to happen if the, if the cultures don't currently reflect that reality. One of them was a book called Simple Church, which is a, a Baptist. Tom Rayner wrote it. Um, with uh, his, his um, uh, uh, Eric Geiger, who was a colleague of his, they worked for like a, a Baptist publisher almost and did the study of all these churches. And they were like, what makes a really effective church? And their conviction was it has this simple and clear uh, understanding of how it makes disciples. Like you can, it's, it's not really so much about the bells and whistles. It's about, do you have this core engine of how you make disciples? That's it. Well, so I'm reading this and I'm thinking of, you know, kind of the church and what they, what, what the church has laid out there as far as, you know, the catechumenal model, and it was so important in the early church, and this kind of process of conversion. Sherry Waddell was talking about this idea, right, with like, you know, the, the, the thresholds of discipleship and stuff. And it just really struck me that this was what was often missing in parishes was they, they even as they started to articulate, we want to make disciples, we want to be on mission, they didn't always know how, you know, like, how do we actually do that? It wasn't always clear. And this idea that was, you know, laid out so clearly in this book, Simple Church, seemed to be like very easily transferable to a Catholic context. And so that had been kind of the backbone, this discipleship pathway and helping parishes implement it was like a huge part of what we were doing with Lalto. So then eventually was, was so here's how we get to the book after my long anecdote. I'm sorry, I'm a storyteller. It's like, in order to answer your question about the book, I have to tell you like what happened, what I had for breakfast 20 years ago. So um, so the, the book, I'm asked by our Sunday visitor to write a book about like the work we're doing with parishes. Um, we'd gotten in touch with the Our Sunday Visitor Institute there, you know, for to apply for a grant to do some national expansion work that we wanted to do. And they said, well, would you ever write a book uh, about what you're what you're doing with parishes? And I was like, you know, sure, like something kind of practical. And so I'm writing this book and I'm explaining how we try to help parishes use this clear path to discipleship. 
as like a way of organizing their thinking. We can talk more about why I think this is a good idea in a second, like some of the reasons why I think it works. But uh, as I'm like, literally, I'm sitting in a Panera here in Littleton, Colorado, like <laughs> writing this. And all of a sudden I see this post in the Forming Intentional Disciples Forum from this like, I thought you were like in college or something, Julia. I, like this I like, was, I was 19. Yeah, she's like 19, right? And she's like, you know, I'm at the St. Patrick's in like Maple Ridge, like in British Columbia near Where Vancouver. Where is that? Yeah. Here's this, here's this discipleship pathway we use. Like, and I think you're also looking for feedback, right? Like, what do you guys think about this? And I'm seeing this and I'm like, we're helping parishes do this. And this is like the best example of what we're trying mm. to do that I've ever seen. So I think I just like messaged you like, can I use this in my book? Yeah, that's so funny. I think of that whole process and that was nearly two years ago now, eh? Um, I think of that whole process was you had tagged me. Sherry had started something. You had tagged me and said, you know, share it. But we had just formulated it about like two days prior. Like we had just kind of sat down and sketched something out that we really felt uh, just inspired by the Holy Spirit. Like I, for me, that's probably one of the most tangible experiences of being filled with the Spirit was while writing that. And I don't say that lightly. There's not many times I've felt such an anointing in one moment than when we sat down and scribbled that out. And then so going on Canva and putting some nice photos, like little, <laughs> I remember even in the book, it's incomplete. So I'm, I'm not a designer, right? I didn't have anything formulated, but you asked me to share the pathway. And so I, I did. Being confident in, in it already, I was interested. And you said, ask for some feedback. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> so funny. And then, and then honestly, it was like, was it November? It, it was only like three months on the job and I'm being interviewed by some guy yeah, that wants quick. to put me in a book. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quick. I think some of the, the background to that story too is to recognize that up until that point, we had a leadership team and a variety of people mm -hmm. that absolutely loved and wanted to see evangelization come mm -hmm. forth in the parish and in the culture. And so there were a variety of different conversations, some different tools that we were using that began to formulate a little bit of the clarity towards a discipleship pathway and i think this is where i'd love to take our conversation right now is the is is how does a parish come up with something that's clear and simple because uh, no one would say that our catholic faith or any part of our catholic faith is ultimately clear and simple it's it's quite complicated it can get complicated we we lean towards complication and having something that's clear and simple requires a lot of work right I, I just want to say as well, being hired by St. Patrick's, absolutely, you had already had so much set up. And it, it's essentially what I said to Tim, which was St. Pat's is amazing. Father Matthew, our pastor, is amazing in that very clear mission as a parish. We're here to form missionary disciples, period. Like, mm -hmm. doesn't go doesn't go much uh, more complex than that. Uh, so it wasn't the mission statement or our mission as a parish that was unclear. It was how we were doing it. We we didn't have like the set of okay and then a and then b and then c it was just let's do all the things that are so good that we know could form missionary disciples and let's hope that it pans out yeah i think that's that's the idea of of building clarity is um what it helps you so the idea basically to describe what we're talking about is you know there's a very clear catechumenal model right like pope francis i think in the, in the parasita document i think has a really good way of laying it out kind of in a four-step process where they're basically saying like the the growth of someone from not friendship with Christ to full missionary discipleship is usually a multi-stage process with little micro conversions all along the way. And so he, he they laid out in that was the 2007 document of the Latin American bishops that talk about um, 
you know, I think they talk about uh, encounter. Um, what is it? Encounter? No, no, no. Pre-evangelization, evangelization, uh, discipleship, and then apostolate. That's like the four steps that they lay out. And so for me, like there was kind of this swirling conversation in the church about how do we make disciples? And a lot of parishes were trying a lot of good things. But I think one of the temptations in our parish sometimes is when we start to get convicted about mission, we just start multiplying programs. And so Julia's right, where it's like, you can have an incredible clarity around uh, mission, but you might have zero clarity about how you actually want that to happen. And I think the problem is, it's very hard to hold accountability then against the, the strategic choices you make regarding how you're going to accomplish that mission. Like when you don't have that middle tranche of like vision to strategy to tactics. So the, the discipleship pathways at the level of like strategy in the middle there, where you're kind of identifying key lanes in the, in those moments. And then you, you can't choose what you do or, or, or parishes would just say, it's almost like the, there's that meme, right? Now I'm going to just show myself as a millennial, but there's like <laughs> the guy holding the butterfly and he's like, mm -hmm. is this, mm -hmm. you know, he's like asking the question, like, is this what? <laughs> and it's almost like, I think parishes, parish leaders sometimes are like that meme where they're like, is this evangelization? Where it's like anything they do yeah. becomes like good <laughs> because it's evangelization, <laughs> but it leads to just like, a lot of wasted effort sometimes or like um, duplicative, you know, moments or there's not a clear, like people get really attached to programs because they're not right. attached to the overall process of making disciples. It's just one thing. So the idea of bringing simplicity and clarity would be to say, looking at that process of conversion and then identifying or, or um, communicating, especially a lot of it's just about articulation of, of a clear um, strategy that supports that overall, that, that multi-step process. Yeah, I've heard that clarity uh, can be seen as the ultimate sophistication uh, <laughs> because there's a, a clear understanding of the thing that you're trying to communicate or uh, or understand or you know or, or put forward. And uh, Tim, you said something that I think is uh, quite notable that you start with a vision, then you create a strategy, and then you move to tactics. And uh, I think a lot of parishes might go uh, the in the other direction where they start with tactics, or perhaps mm -hmm. they start with programs and then formulate programs to become the steps or the, um, you know, the, the pathway itself. And what we might find ourselves in is an, a lack of understanding of why the programs exist and where they fit along the pathway. And uh, Julie, I think the pathway that you have that St. Patrick's has uh, is, uh, as we've termed it, principle-based versus method-based. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about the principles of the pathway that St. Patrick's has? Sure. Could you imagine if I forget? <laughs> and, <laughs> Pop quiz. Uh, let me think. Uh, so the first one's invited to St. Patrick's community specifically. So not just community, because the lay movements offer community, right? But specifically invited to the St. Patrick's community. Uh, and then next step is, or next point is invited to a relationship with Jesus, which may seem like a big jump, but I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, the third point is invited to growth in holiness and mission. Uh, the fourth point was prior invited to lead, which we have kind of discussed, maybe just changing the language, nothing about the method or, or the principles, Invited, naming it invited to mission instead, because that's a bit more accurate to what it really is. And then the final point is invited to multiply, which is nuanced. You don't necessarily invite someone to multiply, it just happens. <laughs> uh, so those are our five pathway points and mm -hmm. they follow uh, exactly the hourglass, like the for, um, Sherry's thresholds of conversion and CCO's kind of extended hourglass there. And yeah, it's been good so far. <laughs> and what I love about the, what I liked especially about St. Patrick's path was, 
yeah, that the fact that it was so clearly derived from principles, um, but also that it was um, so connected, like, like, I mean, you could even argue, I don't know if Julia would say this, I don't, so I don't want to speak out of turn, you know, kind of put words in your mouth, but, you know, a lot of that could just be done in the context of a discipleship relationship, right? It's like, it's, it, it, it could be, you know, someone could be walked through that pathway in a relational context. But then I think too, yeah, there's certain moments, like there's um, the Archdiocese of Omaha um, is doing a big pastoral planning initiative where they're um, really focusing on building clear path to discipleships, uh, clear paths to discipleship in parishes. Um, and so they have some good blogs, it's like equip.archomaha.org, um, where they talk about this concept. And one of the things, one of the, the terms they use for for one of their steps in the discipleship pathway they're trying to get every parish to to think through um, building is a conversion engine, um, which to me is a place where, you know, there really could be um, like some some things need to happen in kind of like a relational or, or groups context, you know, but but some things could be programmatic in the parish. Like that's a really neat place for a program like an alpha or or like a Christ life to kind of find a home. Um, and, and makes sense, but it, but it helps the parish to make this, like we talked about decisions about those initiatives less on just their own merits. And then kind of just like the, the goal becomes to just keep programs going in, uh, you know, indiscriminately, but it's, it's like, we, we choose this because it fits the, the invit, you know, the part the principle and the pathway that we've already articulated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tim, I'm, I'm sure you might, you'd be familiar with the Peter Drucker phrase called treat strategy for breakfast. And so when a parish adopts or, cons- or begins the process of creating this strategy to have a clear discipleship pathway, uh, it could be harder to prioritize it or to allow the pathway to infiltrate or you know, influence the culture of a parish. So what are some of the barriers that you've seen parishes face when trying to prioritize the pathway, move the pathway from just a strategy to really influencing the culture? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think first for me it would be a lack of like conversion and leadership sometimes, you know, like when you have a lot of leadership who are trying to implement strategies that have not yet had their own hearts arrested, um, you know, uh, by, by, uh, by Jesus Christ, like that can be a challenge, right? Like, I think that's, that's the biggest cultural barrier sometimes in our parishes. And I don't just necessarily mean like that could, you know, that could be staff, that could be whoever, um, so it's, you know, it's, it, that would be an obvious challenge that would come up. I'd say from there, like a lack of real prioritization of the mission, like, um, the temptation with the discipleship pathway will always be to like, just kind of like put it in a corner somewhere, but really letting it drive the central vision of a parish is going to be about the parish first, really deeply committing to the fact that it exists for the sake of mission. Um, and, and letting that first, letting that, letting that decision to be about the mission of, of Jesus Christ lead to many, many no's, right? Like the key, the key to having a discipleship pathway is saying no. Like it's, you're saying yes to only a few very definite things and saying no to 98% of everything else that you could do. And the only way you're going to do that, you're going to be comfortable saying no, is if you, is if for you, the, the pearl of great price for your parish is the mission is, is the gospel and people, you know, coming to, like, if you're not convicted that, the, the, the answer to every longing of the human heart is Jesus Christ and him alone, then like you're not going to prioritize a discipleship pathway in the way that it should be because other stuff is going to be is going to seem more important. So those are two that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Julia, you work in a parish, and so I'm sure you you've received a, a variety of requests and you've had to st- sit in, in the gap of saying yes and no to things. So what's that experience been like? 
Well, it's so funny, even the amount of times that I've forgotten myself, like just to be totally candid, where something comes in and it looks so good. It's so shiny and new and seems fruitful. Yeah, let's do it. You know, it's excited because again, kind of speaking to Tim, like you're on fire for the Lord yourself. You want it brother. So you see something good coming in and you're like, why not? Uh, but I have to remind myself, oh, yes, yeah, so we have a discipleship pathway and does this fit? So I think establishing the pathway isn't enough like establishing the pathways is kind of the easy part it's like yep and this is our pathway now it kind of comes down to actually following it and you yourself saying no to something even you may think is a good idea um, but trusting that actually the the discipleship pathway and what it says because it's backed by so much like it's not it's not a group of ideas out of nowhere uh trusting that saying no will often bear more fruit than saying yes Mm -hmm. often and to add to that, I think too, like even you're saying like some of the things that can become distractions in parishes are like, you know, maybe one-off initiatives or different events or like things going on that can be, but the beauty of having a discipleship pathway is those things can actually become contributive to the overall parish culture instead mm-hmm. of just like you bring in a speaker or something, or you have a, a community event. You can utilize your pathway. And if all your leaders understand the pathway enough, they can let those things be on ramps into- exactly other things like it can it, it allows things to to all feed into one strategy instead of like what we do so many times which is just like something happens and then it's done and then the next thing gets put on the calendar and then it's done exactly and in a beautiful way everything becomes a momentum moment when you have a discipleship pathway everything builds momentum like momentum does not end you know if you're running like a parish picnic that is to then invite people into whatever else you're doing that will then invite them into a relationship with jesus if you're doing you know and we're looking at doing an advent by candlelight okay well what are we going to do with these women let's not think of just advent by candlelight where are they going to go after advent by candlelight and how can we invite them deeper into uh, the pathway or deeper into discipleship with christ everything is a momentum moment with a pathway everything has like a i think uh it might have been you tim or i read somewhere but evangelization essentially it has an end goal right like there actually is an end to it um there is somewhere that we're bringing someone and so having a pathway and the different events a parish puts on we still put on events at saint pat's like we still do other things on the side we don't just do alpha and the faith studies right those are only two programs we'll do um, I'll ever do person. Well, not ever, but for right now, but <laughs> events happen and, and it's fine, but events will bring them into whatever else we're doing and into relationships with other people. Cause exactly like you said, Tim, the pathway can happen without alpha and without the CCO studies, like the pathway can happen with you and me, like, you can lead me like into discipleship and it will look the exact same. You'll invite me into St. Pat's community. You'll invite me into a relationship with Jesus. You'll invite me into growth and holiness and mission just by accompanying me. And then it, you'll invite me into the mission alone. That's what happened to me. And that's why I'm here. It's because someone accompanied, accompanied me through that without a program. Well, let's talk a little bit about that uh, because most of our listeners in Proclaim are, of course, they're part of parishes, they're involved, but the majority of them wouldn't be sitting at the leadership table. Uh, they're not part of making some of these decisions to create pathways, influence culture. Certainly their responsibility uh, by virtue of their baptism and the invitation that Jesus makes of all of us in the Great Commission to make disciples, it's, it's not lost on us and it's not lost on our Proclaim members. So when we think of discipleship pathway and we think of the individual, uh, what are some of the things that we could help our listeners 
I guess, wrap around or, or step into as they're looking at, you know, the people that they'd love to reach out to, what they're inviting them to, their role as missionary disciples, and how a discipleship pathway can can help them in that role. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I'm sure you guys do, you know, some of this within the movement, you know, some of this formation and stuff surrounding kind of like assessing where people are at. But I think for me, it's just given me a really thinking this way, like thinking in terms of the process of evangelization and the process of conversion has helped me to kind of identify like where someone's at and what they really need. Like what's, what's, what's the, where are they? And then what would be kind of like, um, you know, people aren't projects, right? And so we're not just, I'm not just trying to say like, you know, it gives you the, 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 the playbook for them or something like that, but it's helped to, um, to, to think more clearly around like at least, you know, what the church and her wisdom, because a lot of this is pulled right from the, the just kind of different catechetical documents and stuff, what the church and her wisdom would say is, you know, kind of the next threshold in the, the journey of, um, you know, of conversion. Then you can even break those down further, right. In terms of, you know, if someone's in pre-evangelization, what are the, you know, the, the micro thresholds within that as well just to kind of say, uh, to show the whole journey of growth into full Christian maturity, both for someone personally to say, this is the the journey that I need to take. If I'm a leader in the proclaim movement and, you know, kind of, am I, where am I located in this whole structure? But then also, um, you know, for, for ministering to other people brings more clarity around uh, what, what the church might say they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of church documents, you're reminding me of a paragraph out of Evangelii Gaudium that we reference, I think, somewhat regularly <laughs> with Proclaim <laughs> and, and in different places. I think it's uh, it's a paragraph 168, 169, 169, uh, 169 where uh, our Holy Father speaks of and invites clergy, religious, laity, you know, all of us, ultimately, uh, into the art of accompaniment, learning how to accompany another, thinking about uh, where they're at, what they might be struggling with, the questions they might be asking, the relationship. Uh, and in particular, I, seeing them and seeing their heart and their lives as holy ground. Mm. Wherever they're at, whether they're far from the Lord or close to the Lord, there is uh, their, you know, their, their hearts, their life is holy ground because God has created them. And we are privileged and are invited to accompany them on a journey, a pathway, whatever it is, an end, which is ultimately intimacy with God. Mm. Yeah, that line, remove your sandals uh, before the heart of the other and encounter them as sacred ground. Uh, Incredible. I think exactly what you said as well, Tim, which is just the pathway can assist you in helping to identify essentially, oh, where's someone at? They've been in our community for, I mean, especially as Catholics, you'll have people that have been involved in your community for like decades. I think of Barry, right? He had been heavily involved in our community for 60 years, right? Before he had ever been invited into a relationship with Jesus. So I think the pathway in a way just helps uh, helps each person accompanying the person. Because again, the pathway isn't just for leadership, the leadership team to look at. The pathway is something you as an individual, as a missionary disciple, you look at and say, okay, here's this person in my family. Why am I, or maybe I shouldn't start right away by trying to, um, you know, have them turn away from this sin, right? I shouldn't right away be challenging them in holiness. What if I just invite them into my other community of Catholics so that they can meet other good Catholics and and have that witness as well? So it kind of just simplifies things. And I think it helps you look, um, simplify, I think is just the best word, just simplify things, right? 
it's evangelization is just made <laughs> down to five points the five point <laughs> five point pathway <laughs> yeah we need these mental categories sometimes where you're right i think i think there can be like even you know with the the people in proclaim certainly the the work they're doing and building community and evangelization but also in all you know fallen away family members and and different stuff like you said it, it can be sometimes challenging to think like you know what do they need and um and and i think you know the hopefully long term like the church will start to think this way in terms of all of ministry efforts where you know it's like it's going to be more process oriented versus project oriented mm-hmm. um you know in in catholic high schools and in uh you know youth ministry and like i i hope at some point that this will be more like that's i think one of the, th- the great things that breaks my heart is when you, you you hear of someone who grew up catholic and um you know never really encountered the why of the faith and so now you know, family members are engaging with them and trying to help evangelize them and stuff. But it might, like you said, it might come from the perspective of an area of their life that needs to be changed or, you know, some of the catechetical questions that they might have. But it's almost like we had so many chances as they were growing up or other times to to really just focus on giving them, yeah, incredible community, helping them meet Jesus personally in a way that would be a true encounter right, with the truth, beauty, and goodness of Christ that could lead to a conversion. Uh, and, and sometimes that stuff is just, we, we we're skipping around too much sometimes in the process where we're not, we're not putting first things first. We're not leading with the why of the faith. And so then we're trying to later in life, you know, kind of backtrack or, or, or meet them at a different place then. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. More and more stories uh, or more and more I'm hearing of stories of how people are coming to know Jesus. And most of those stories are through another person, a relationship, a friendship. Uh, Certainly there is uh, a time and a place and importance to have retreats, conferences, moments where, you know, a parish might initiate some uh, opportunity for encounter. Eucharistic adoration, I think, is so important in in the life of a a parish. Uh, But even those who might come to an event or to adoration or something that a parish is putting on is is coming through an invitation Mm -hmm. through a friend. And I can think of my own life and the times where, you know, I, I struggled or, or wondered what would be, you know, how do I live my life as a disciple? Um, there were people that were there to accompany and, and, and help me see the way, you know, lead me back to Jesus, lead me into a new way of praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or to offer some advice or wisdom into all of this. And I think that's something that we can encourage our Proclaim members to consider. Who is in your life that is accompanying you uh, and who might you have the privilege of accompanying? And I think we should all have people that we're accompanying that are uh, in the pre-evangelization stage, evangelization stage, discipleship stage, missionary stage, so that uh, not only are we continuing to grow um, ourselves and our uh, capacity to accompany, but to also recognize and to see that everyone uh, we have people in our lives that are in different stages or, or I guess, in, in different places in their relationship with Jesus. And I, I moved away from the word stage because it, you know, it makes it very binary or, you know, it makes it very sort of objective where, you know, okay, if you're in this step, then you do this. If you're in this step, mm-hmm. you do this. And, you know, our, our lives aren't that at all, which is, I think, why, you know, the art of accompaniment, mm-hmm. not the science of accompaniment, is, uh, is, is stated and emphasized. So relationship, I think, is a key part of uh, the Proclaim movement in, in sharing Jesus in our homes and communities. And we're seeing that more and more. And I think parishes can take the time, or I guess parishes are invited to 
help emphasize some structures so that their uh, their parishioners can have a little bit of a clear understanding and mm -hmm. almost know how to you know navigate the waters a and little bit. understanding they're that arrow like when you see our projection of the discipleship pathway and it's like invited to community arrow invited to relationship with jesus who do you think the arrow is you know that's that's you that's you with that person that's not the parish as a whole as the pastor from um, you know, the front of the church saying, and now everyone, let's move on to stage two. <laughs> it's it, it's one person with another person inviting them into the next, n next kind of. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, relationship has to be like the, the, the atmosphere in which like a discipleship pathway exists. It's almost like the, like it underpins everything. If that's mm -hmm. not there, then uh, yeah, it's just, it just runs the risk of becoming flattened or shallow. Um, itself yes yeah, so that, that accompaniment's critical here's a question that <clears throat> is more pertinent to the the time that we're living in obviously we're in a time of pandemic you know programs parishes have limitations on gathering and we've seen a, an uprise in you know the digital space and an opportunity and uh, and in some places parishes are also really struggling with trying to move into the digital space. I've even heard this term fidgetal. I don't know if, if you guys have heard this, uh, that churches are invited to be both physical and digital at the same time. <laughs> um, anyways, I'm just kind of putting it out there to, to ask a question of how someone or a parish might pivot um, while staying true to their pathway. The principles, you know, we've heard this, that sort of uh, phrase, you know, principles, uh, you know, basically stay the same, but the methods can, mm -hmm. you know, can change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Like, I, so personally, like I, I have a little bit of like, I, I think the church is called to gather, you know, like, I think, I think people need, like, I, I have a little bit of an allergy to this idea that churches are just going to like, you know, like go completely online or something like that. I think like digital evangelization is really good when it supports a community that's already existing. Now yes. that having been said, Colorado has had much laxer like meeting things than other places have. Like our churches have been since early May have been allowed to be at, you know, 30% capacity or something, you know? So it's like, I, I recognize that like not everywhere is as, as, as lucky um, as us in some ways. And it does it for, to me, it drives, you know, questions about what are contexts that uh, parishes can create that, um, allow for, you know, that like we're, we're parishioners, I mean, things like Proclaim's doing where parishioners are empowered to, I don't know if that's you know, part of it, but to, to do stuff in their own homes. Like, I think there are models there where the parish doesn't need to be the locus of community always. Like it can be kind of pushed out into people's homes and into people's neighborhoods. And so in those smaller gatherings, a lot of these, you know, gatherings still make a lot of sense. If it's an alpha program that's running, but it's running in a bunch of people's different houses, or maybe it is running online and then, you know, moving into, uh, a, a group context. Like, I think, I just think, I think for me, digital tools can be, um, you know, at the service of and, and putting online and, 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 and attracting. Uh, I just, I, I do, I struggle when I think, I think one of the things I'm wrestling with, even as I see parishes and their evangelization efforts in pandemic time is that if they're wholly digital, I do um, sometimes wonder if we are missing something to yeah agree. and if, if we're not good at building relationships and uh and and helping people in in their discipleship with the lord in person uh what makes us think that we'd be any better digitally and i think sometimes we might think that you know digital becomes the answer to some of the challenges that we would have uh relationally and and, and in person 
when it's not the case at all. So I think what you're saying, Tim, is that digital tools have a place. It should supplement our capacity uh, to be with other people, to gather, to grow as a community, face-to-face, in person, to accompany another in their in the relationship in their relationship with the Lord. So you can't you can't just go 100% digital and think that uh, our a pathway would still work. I think even more, just taking a different angle, even more with the with the pathway kind of existing and understanding this is how we evangelize. It it took um it took the responsibility off of parish staff. And in a way, I feel like unleashed it to the parishioners or the members of our community already of, of like, so what are you going to do, right? I, there were two people in our parish that started Alpha in their homes. It was the strangest thing. And I'm wondering, where was that? Like, I've been wanting that for two years. Where was that? Well, it's because the parish couldn't anymore. In a way, I think it enabled the members of our community to act. Because when the parish couldn't do something as a whole, they saw a need and, and they did it. So... I, I found it actually quite uh, a blessing. I found it really encouraging and inspiring to see the different members of our community step up and share their testimony or or lead an alpha at home or just invite, once we could gather in Holy Grounds, our coffee house, invite one person to have coffee with. That wasn't, it was, but it wasn't happening, I, I guess, as tangibly or in such Con, um, concentration as it is now it was it's quite beautiful to see I got a break <laughs> you know I didn't have to host alpha for 80 people or, or whatnot uh, and instead I saw exactly what was always the intention what we wanted to happen from the beginning which is for the person for the missionary disciple to own the discipleship pathway as theirs very cool very cool. Yeah, I think ideally, like the, the, the logic of salvation is exitus and retitus, right? The son goes out from the father in order to return to the father and in returning to the father brings us with them, right? And like, I think ideally a missional parish would see itself the same way where there's this dynamic of like breathing in and out where it's it's really empowering lay mission that like the, the parish really has, you know, less kind of like direct um, but I think the beauty of the discipleship pathway is it creates a framework for a, for a parishioner understanding where they might fit in that. Because I think that's one of the problems is like often with parish leaders, we say to lay people, you know, and you're called to go and to be on mission in your daily life. Like we'll, we'll kind of use these platitudes sometimes to describe, but we don't really give them a context to like a clear understanding of like what to do and when to do it and how to do it and how it might fit the broader mission of the parish and how I might, you know, tie those, those efforts together. And so um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. This, this like what this done has done is removed the crutch in some ways of mm-hmm. parish programming and and direction for some of this stuff, and hopefully empower people to be doing that. And I think that's one of those things. Part of the new normal that I hope sticks around is more of a dynamic of of exitus and readytus, mm-hmm. like breathing in and out of 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 a parish's structuring of its mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and even sorry if I could, we had someone from our parish who was so involved again she she's been involved for decades uh, but never wanted to become catholic just didn't feel like that's where she fit she loved being christian and then covid happened and she realized at this moment now i could be watching any kind of christian service on online or anywhere and i just really want to see my community like i just want to see my priest kind of on the altar and that goes to show the power of community and i think um in a way having people miss the community brought them deeper into a relationship with christ because they realized or at least i i'm kind of 
pondering still and wrestling with it. Um, this connection with the community and recognizing that something was lost from COVID. And what exactly was it that was lost? And in her case, she realized, you know, she wanted to become Catholic. She wanted to be kind of um, in deeper relationship with Christ in that way and receive his body and blood. So it's so interesting, each point of the pathway having such a severe um, or such a significance in their discipleship, their relationship with Christ, especially, especially community, I realized through COVID and, and especially community, how much it affected the faith of the parishioners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the listener who is wondering, where do I start? What's, you know, what's the next step that I can take right now uh, in either understanding a discipleship pathway or uh, implementing discipleship pathway in, in, in my missionary lens? What, what advice would you like to offer to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is probably a question first of, of, you know, good formation around the topic, even understand some of the different nuances. So, you know, um, some of the, the, there's a new general directory of catechesis that probably has some good stuff there. I think more simplified versions. I think simple church is a good, like a a more relevant um, conversation about a discipleship pathway in our Catholic context than you would think um, like more, more directly applicable I, I thought that equip.archomaha.org had those good couple kind of blogs and um, ideas about a clear path to discipleship. I would encourage people to look at parishes that are using them. You know, Julia's Parish, uh, you know, obviously a good a good example. Um, St. Anne's and Capel um, uses a discipleship pathway. Even like Divine Renovation and like um, St. Benedict and Halifax, like their roadmap, you know, or their, um, what do they call it, the plan or the, the game plan or whatever, like is is kind of like a discipleship pathway in some senses, you know, so... I think seeing some of those articulations of it too can be, I don't know if you could put in like the show notes, some links to like some of the different churches almost that are um, using that kind of, of framework. Cause that can be helpful for understanding it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll speak out of experience for myself. When I started this, I had never read a single resource. You know, I was formed by my best friend, Erica, that was kind of my formation and I just felt called by the Holy spirit and I showed up. And so I think speaking to you know, maybe the person listening who's in a similar place as I am hasn't read any books, you know, hasn't had any formal formation. Tim gave the same resources I would have given. And then I'll just add, I think pray for, pray for the flock God wants to send you. That's what I did, you know, before getting this job, I prayed, I I asked God kind of for a flock. And so I'd say ask for it and be okay if it's not the people you know right now, because often it's not the people closest to you that you'll actually, unfortunately, accompany to conversion. Um, so be okay if it's not your closest friends or your family. Pray for us. Pray for a flock, um, and then go for it. <laughs> yeah. You're in my prayers. I think. I think. Oh, and understand, um, and be okay with it. Will probably take many years. It won't be hot and ready. I say like, I just want hot and ready conversions. I want little Caesars conversions. I want to just, you know, <laughs> tell someone the gospel and see it happen. And it has happened. I've seen it. But for the most part, it's just so low. It's a long game. And so prepare yourself for that and yeah, pray for a flock and then hunker down and take some time with one person. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, my evangelization's like, uh, it's like barbecue more <laughs> than it is like cooking steaks. You know, you flash, you kind of sear steaks. I'm on a really hot grill, you know, zip, zip, and then you're off. But like barbecue is about that low and slow low kind and of. Low and slow. Yeah. 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 
I think uh, to our listeners, I'd love to encourage you to find someone that you know has had experience in using a discipleship pathway or accompanying others into discipleship with our Lord Jesus, and even find some missionary disciples who have uh, spent time and have had experience in forming other missionary disciples and sit at their feet, spend a little bit of time asking how, how they, you know, how they grew their capacity and their skill and, you know, how, how they grew in their prayer life and how to listen to the Holy Spirit and how to form solid relationships and make invitations and, and all of that. So my encouragement is to find people like that. The good news with the Proclaim movement is that we have people that are at all levels of experience uh, that have used a variety of different tools and are willing and ready and wanting to accompany other missionary disciples as they continue and respond to the mission. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Julia, thank you so much for offering your insight. And Tim, always a pleasure hearing your wisdom, insight, and we know the Holy Spirit is moving in Denver in your family's life. And as you continue to to respond to missionary discipleship, we you can uh, please pray for us and we'll, we'll pray for you. And let's continue to share Jesus with the world. 